You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 219. On today's show, we talk about 3D scans of the Titanic, Pompeii, and the Mayan Lightning Lord. And the Maya Lightning Lord. Let's dig a little deeper, but you can't even get deep enough where deep sea submersibles can't find you (laughs) and take pictures of you. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone. How's it going? Pretty good. Iceberg dead ahead. (laughs) God. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Isn't an iceberg it. right ahead? It's always dead ahead is in it ships. Dead ahead? It's mm. dead because it's like dead reckoning. Oh, Everything is but dead. See, the only thing that matters for Titanic is the movie. So, well, we can't just go straight into an article; otherwise, people will unsubscribe. <laughs> we need to tell all of our our new listeners that are our RVing friends and all our other listeners uh-huh, that uh-huh. don't have RVs yet. Uh-huh. If you don't have an RV, you should get one and join us on the road. But aside yeah, from that, for sure. Yeah, we are in lovely, temperate San Luis Obispo, California. Yes. And it, it hasn't... gorgeous like, here. one day since we've been here, it's been over 70 degrees. Yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. We had the heat on this morning. Yeah, but ridiculous. not in a way where, like, you're, you're winter cold, you know? Just like, oh, there's a little bit of a chill. I need to put the heater on for it, a second. I mean, I had a freaking sweater on. And I still have a sweater like, on. We went to breakfast and the place only had seating outside down in Pismo Beach. Yeah. And it was like that slight misty. Yeah. It wasn't rain. It was mist. If you understand, yeah. you understand. Yeah. And it was it was it's mist. It's called and, If You Know You Know. Get it know, right. Oh, sorry. Okay, boomer. Anyway, I just okay boomer myself. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. I'm not even a boomer. Oh, yeah. man. Okay. Anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's great over here. And it's a great place to be when the summer starts to heat up yeah. in most places, which is one of the best things about RVing is we can go to yeah, the weather we, just we want. Go. I, it does get somewhat warm here in the summer, but you know what? By the time that happens, we'll be gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're enjoying springtime here for sure, though. It's so green and pretty and we're parked on a friend's land and they're just surround. They're in this like little valley, like really little yeah. valley that's surrounded by mountains. And it's just it's so just pretty here i love it yeah and this has nothing to do with archaeology like the last five minutes of the conversation but i also i don't don't think rachel's probably going to sleep in but i'm getting up at about five tomorrow Mm -hmm. to drive about 30 miles south and stake my claim near vandenborg (laughs) (laughs) should i edit that out no i probably won't (laughs) the vandenborg the vandenborg (laughs) (laughs) vandenborg space force base Uh where there will be a spacex rocket launch a falcon 9 rocket launch tomorrow yeah, yeah, it's like 
a light going through the sky. It's not a light. That's it's all a you rocket. can see. I know it is an actual rocket, but like that's all you're going to see from the ground. I don't know if I no, need to you, experience that. You actually see the rocket when you're less than a few miles away. Maybe. Like the only one yeah. we seen was in Florida, and we were probably 40 miles away. Yeah. You could barely make out the rocket. Yeah. It looked like a tiny little speck. It was and during you could the day, the too. So that didn't help. Yeah. But. Now, this is going to be in the morning just after sunrise. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be pretty good. Okay. We'll see. I might be motivated to go with you in the morning. We'll see. Right. You know what else just happened just after sunrise? Hmm. People from the Titanic were rescued because the ship was at the bottom of the Atlantic. True. I think it was a little before sunrise, but yeah. Well, they were still picking them out of the water at sunrise, I would say. <laughs> well, not not living ones, but anyway. Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So I am sure that everybody listening right now has seen this because I feel like it's hit the mainstream news media and it's just been everywhere. Did you like feel like it was everywhere? There are two things that are everywhere when mm -hmm. they hit the news. Stonehenge and Titanic. Yeah. And sometimes Pompeii. <laughs> From but, a historical standpoint. Yeah. 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 I guess Pompeii, you could probably lump into that. Yeah. I mean, so. today's episode is any guide. I know. Right. <laughs> We're talking big archaeology today. So this article is called Titanic First Ever Full-Sized Scans Reveal Wreck as Never Seen Before. And as you might imagine, it is these full-size digital scans of the Titanic. And the Titanic is 12,500 feet below the surface. So that is quite a feat. Yeah. <laughs> and they did it using deep sea mapping. Yeah. And... You just open the article, look down yeah. at your show notes right now, you need pull to. your, you pull have your to. car over, stop jogging, yeah. doing whatever you're doing. Pause this episode, come back to it yes. when you can look at this link, because it is so cool. Yeah. Open your eyes, wake up, <laughs> and <laughs> click on the show notes and open this, because the also, first- Also, please stop sleeping to us. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> you're falling deeper and deeper. Anyway- so there's a video, a 58 second video of the Titanic, the wreck, the, the digital scans of the Titanic. Mm -hmm. It's mostly not colorized. I, no. I, I feel like there's a little bit of color enhancement there, but it's mostly not colorized. It's like they, they bring the rust color to life when they see it because they know it's yeah. rust sometimes. So you've got some oranges and some reds in there, but that's about it. Right, right. Yeah. But the biggest thing I noticed from this picture is, first off, the back half is gone because that landed somewhere else. Yeah. And second... Just look at the dirt surrounding the front half and how hard that thing yeah. hit the ground. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a meteor crater, yeah. right? It just like plowed straight into the ground. It did. It was amazing how mm -hmm. much force it hit with. But even given that force, the main body and center part of the Titanic are relatively intact. Yeah, it broke into two pieces, which we'll talk about a little bit more when we get into how they did this and, and why they did it. But it is in two pieces and the back section, the stern, just almost pulverized when it hit the seafloor because of the way it yeah. hit. But the main image, when you look at this article, is of the bow section. And it really is like surprisingly intact. It's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty but neat. But what really jumped out at me about these images is that there's none of those like floaty bits in the water. Yeah. You know, because all that floaty murky stuff mm -hmm. that is there naturally in water, it's all removed. It really is like they just sort of like took all the photos and then drained the water away. And it's just what's left, which is the surface of the sea, the debris around it, and then the the ship itself. It's it's just so cool to look at it like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, that has to do with the type of scanning that they did. It's mm -hmm. incredibly detailed and cuts through all that stuff. And then when, you, when you're able to remove all that, you're just left with an incredibly detailed scan of something. Mm -hmm. And we do this with lots of things in archaeology and other areas, but this is something that 
everybody knows about. Yeah. And it's just really cool to see it that way because the Titanic, ever since, you know, James Cameron first took a submarine <laughs> down there and we kind of saw it for the first time mm-hmm. since 1912, everybody's been like, man, what does the rest of it look like? Yeah, you for know? sure. Well, speaking of that, let's just do a few Titanic facts, a little bit of the history. I'm sure everybody knows, but just in case you weren't alive in 1996 and didn't go see the movie three times like I did, then I want to take you on the Titanic journey with me. (laughs) I have been on AT&T cell phone service because of the Titanic ever since then. Yeah. We switched from, what was it? It was actually house service because Uh I didn't have a cell phone when this came out. (laughs) But when the, when the VHS, the dual VHS came out, you couldn't fit it on one VHS. Oh, for sure. I had that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh When that came out, (laughs) there was a special offer to like get that for free if you switch to (laughs) AT&T. And so... I've You're like, much, give me that Titanic. Uh, my <laughs> wife at the time was. Yeah. And I was like, you know, fine, we'll switch for we'll switch and get this for free because it was a whole deal. Oh my god, that's my favorite fact about you that I didn't know before and now I do know. So great. I know. I've pretty much been on ATT ever since. Yep. Yep. Yeah, great. So. It's awesome. Anyway, you know who's not on ATT? 1,517 people that died on the Titanic. Yes, that was the the death number and Okay, so back to being real and scientific here because we're kind of going off the rails today, but today. <laughs> so so Titanic was built in Belfast, Ireland, and it was one of three Olympic class ships for the White Star Line. And these three ships were basically coming in to replace their previous ships. They were much bigger. They were meant to move a lot faster. It was going to be competitors with the other lines that were crossing the Atlantic at the time. Yeah. And it was just, you know, progress was marching forward. They had better technology. We're building better ships, basically. Well, and like you said, they're faster. They were intended to cross the Atlantic every single week. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. these, these ships were moving. And the, the idea was that between the, the three ships, you could grab a ship across the ocean yeah. any week, any week you wanted. That's what they wanted yeah. this to be. Which makes me wonder that like after this happened, like their flagship, did they just continue those journeys with the other two ships? They did. And they brought back one of the older ships too, uh, from yeah. what I was reading. To kind of fill the gap. Yeah. They just brought back an older ship and it, I don't think it moved as quickly, but they were able to you know make it right. work. So. Well, when they were building this, they were really concerned with the height of luxury. Yes. And, and the design. And that design sort uh-huh. of overruled some of the safety concerns. Yeah. And, and actually even speed too. Like speed yeah. was one of their most important factors here. So mm-hmm. yeah, they definitely were not paying as close attention to safety as maybe they should have. Yeah. So as we all know, <laughs> but Titanic's maiden voyage left Southampton, England on April 10th, 1912. And it did pick up a few more passengers, various different stops, but it finally headed out into the North Atlantic on April 11th, 1912. Yep. 1912. Yeah. Now, there were only enough lifeboats for 1,178 people, and there were 2,224 passengers and crew on this voyage. Yeah, I don't know. So that is a difference there. (laughs) I don't know who the engineers were, but that math doesn't work out. No, but like, check this out. Not only was that not enough lifeboats for who was physically on that boat, they could have actually had up to like 3,300 people. They were not at full capacity Mm. because there had been some strikes recently and people canceled plans because of strikes. And they were like, I don't know, almost a thousand people less than they could have potentially carried. So imagine how much worse it would have been if that hadn't happened. Yeah. But 
They didn't care about safety, so... And they were very confident in its unsinkability. Yeah. Because of the way the bulkheads were and the mm-hmm. how high they were. And like if, if any one compartment filled up with water, yep. everybody's seen the... The diagrams yep. that were in the movie Titanic. Those aren't wrong. They're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, they really did hit that. Right. And and at the time, too, like Captain Smith himself, Captain Smith was, you know, the captain of the Titanic. He declared in 1907, which is a few years earlier, that he could not imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. Yeah. They just were so, like, overconfident to the point of arrogance in their technology. Yeah, they were so arrogant that they ignored numerous iceberg warnings mm-hmm. from the lookouts. That was their job was to, you know. Not from the lookouts, from the other ships around. Because the, oh, ship, yeah, the, right. the other yeah. ships around were always sending messages like, iceberg here, blah, 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 yeah. watch out. Yeah, they but they just it. continued on at full speed. And in their defense, I think it was common practice yeah. to sort of ignore them. Because icebergs, just generally speaking, didn't bother these big ships too mm-hmm. much. But that was a fatal mistake, obviously. Yeah, because a little before midnight on April 15th, 1912, they hit an iceberg. And by 2 a.m., they had fully sunk. So it didn't take that long. Yeah, it was very quick. Yeah. And of the 2,225 passengers, 1,517 died. Yep. Now, everybody knew about it. Everybody knew where it was. We had the coordinates of where this happened, you know. But it wasn't until 1985 that a combined American French mission by John Louise Michel and Robert Ballard were able to actually find the wreck on the floor of the North Atlantic. Yeah, and it probably took that long for several reasons. One, even if you know exactly where the ship went down, which I mm-hmm. highly doubt they had the exact coordinates of where it went down. I mean, they did report their position when they hit they the did. iceberg, but they were also still moving. They were. It, it and, just wasn't. Yeah. And the accuracy of the day, too, just wasn't well, quite. Sure. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. I'm sure it was pretty close. But even mm-hmm. so, when that thing started going down, I mean, it still had forward momentum. It didn't go straight down to the sea right. floor. It had forward momentum for 12,500 feet, which is over two and a half miles. Mm-hmm. And it can travel quite some distance. So back to what this new expedition uncovered or revealed. In the summer of 2022, Magellan Limited, a deep sea mapping company, and Atlantic Productions, which is a production company, they began scanning the wreck. Atlantic Productions has plans to make a documentary about this project. So I am super excited for that because I am a sucker for anything Titanic and I will, you know, happily eat that up when it comes out. Yeah. And for this scan, they took over 700,000 images using remotely controlled submersibles. So they didn't have to be down there. They had right. all these robot submersibles that were mm-hmm. just taking pictures, taking pictures all the time. And that essentially, you've heard us talk about this on this show before, and you've heard us talk about it on the Archaeotech podcast, if you hear that. But that's photogrammetry. Mm-hmm. It's essentially structure from motion, they call it. Yep. It's taking a whole bunch of pictures at different angles, because you can't just take pictures around the ship you've got to take pictures at usually at least three angles and for this project they probably took it at way more than that yeah for each piece of surface right Mm -hmm. and you've got to look at your your distance from the object and then your your angle to the object and you just go around and around and around and keep taking pictures yeah it sounds like it was pretty complicated because it was Every square centimeter of this thing ended up being mapped yeah. by photo. Even the mud in between different pieces of debris. Because if you don't have the bottom of the sea, then you don't have the whole picture if something is laying on the on the ocean floor. So right. it like even things that didn't seem like were important helped create this whole picture of the whole thing. There's even like a, a serial number on one of the propellers yeah. that wasn't able to be seen before because of the murkiness of the water and everything. But with this 
high quality photogrammetry, they're able to see it now. So they're they're definitely seeing things that they, they were never able to see before, which is really cool. Yeah. And this is the first time the wreck has been seen in its entirety, too, rather than just like these sort of separated snapshots through this murky, gloomy water, right? Yeah. You know, you can actually like, if you watch the video in the link, you can kind of like spin around the whole vessel. It's it's really cool. Or the pieces of the vessel because they're separated on the open ocean floor. Yeah. And as we mentioned, the bow and the center section are in much better condition than the stern because the stern broke apart mm-hmm. and basically swirled around and corkscrewed down to the sea floor. Mm-hmm. I don't even, did they get pictures of that? Did you there, see? It's in there. Yeah. Is if it? you watch that video, you can see it and it's like pancaked basically. <laughs> like it's barely even like identifiable as the stern of the, yeah. of the ship, you know? Yep. You can even see where the grand staircase was in the bow section, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. A lot of the, the big details there. So we've all seen Titanic, the movie, and how it portrays it as, you know, they tried to turn and weren't able to turn in time and hit the iceberg on the starboard side. And and that's what caused it to sink. And while that does make for great movie, it's not necessarily true. And we don't know for sure that that's exactly what happened. And they're hoping that by using these shots from the ocean floor that they can actually kind of tell what happened with more study and looking at the the close details. So one thing that could have happened is rather than like hitting it because they were turning out of the way, they might have actually just like ground onto the iceberg Mm -hmm. in such a way that caused the compartments to fill up and then for it to eventually sink. So there's sort of like minor differences in details in how it happened, but it's still in one of the most tragic maritime accidents in the entire like world. You know, it's just something that is interesting to know the exact details of. I mean, is it though? Because the Edmund Fitzgerald has a song. <laughs> so um, it has a movie with Jack and Rose, and mm-hmm. obviously it's the best movie in the whole world. And yeah. you can't convince me of that. Wow. Of anything other than that. So yeah. Well, anyway, these detailed images might show us the mechanics of how the ship actually hit the sea floor, mm-hmm. and more importantly, how it's slowly destroying the ship as well, and how it's being eaten by microbes yeah. and just disintegrating. Yeah, since they found the ship in 1985, it's obviously been slowly disintegrating, like in front of our eyes, right? Because yeah. of these microbes and the other decomposition that just happens naturally. So we can't stop that process from happening. I don't think we'd ever bring the remains up from the bottom of the floor. It's a UNESCO heritage site, and I don't think they would even allow that to happen. But what these images can do is sort of freeze it in time. In in the summer of 2022, it's now frozen in that time. And we can at least look at it from there, no matter what happens to it in real life. So it's, yeah. it's stopping time, so to speak, for future studies. Well, one other thing that's frozen in time is a whole bunch of people in Italy. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Episode. Welcome back to episode 219 of the Archaeology Show. And it's the... Popular archaeology site edition. 
We started with I the know. Titanic. <laughs> All the most famous places in the world, archaeology yeah. speaking. <laughs> and now we're moving over to Pompeii, which is mm-hmm. another thing everybody's heard of. And segment three will be yet another thing everybody's heard of. Yeah. Well, so, kind of. Segment three is a little bit less so. But anyway, we'll At we'll least there. the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is all about Pompeii. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I went and pulled the original Associated Press article only because... Literally everybody reported on this. And the first sentence was, according to the Associated Press, and I was like, all right, well, let me just find their article. Mm -hmm. So I went there and found it. But this is skeletons found in Pompeii ruins reveal deaths by earthquake, not just Vesuvius's ancient eruption. Mm -hmm. Obviously, one of the most famous and well-known eruptions, volcanic eruptions, I should say, in history was that of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. Yeah, I mean, that the destruction that it caused means that yeah. everybody will forever remember this. I don't know any other volcano eruptions. Like, I can't think of yeah. any others, you know? I mean, there, Krakatoa, there, maybe? Well, there have been some modern ones in the last, like, hundred years. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reason why those are of similar notoriety as Pompeii mm-hmm. is, is because Pompeii was one of the first major eruptions that took place in a very popular, very populated, well-written-about location. Yeah. So Pompeii, like, everybody knew about it. Yeah. It was the vacation land of, you know, the rest um, of Italy. Right. And it was just, and, and, and the whole Mediterranean. Yeah. And we were hitting a time period where we have written records of everything that was going on. A time period in a place. Oh, they wrote where everything Where we had down. all these written records, so we know exactly yeah. what happened and when and why and how and all of that. Yeah. Although, as we're learning more stuff happened here than we necessarily thought had happened earlier. Right. Which we could probably assume, but now we're having evidence of. But anyway, to locate this, Pompeii and Mount Vesuvius are located outside Naples, Italy. Mm -hmm. You can see Mount Vesuvius from Naples. It's a very imposing force. And we saw this a few years ago when we were there. Mm -hmm. Uh, We actually went to Pompeii, did the tour. Mm -hmm. And I did the Pompeii tour back in 1996 when I was in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we talked about this when we recorded an episode about this a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But... uh, I've also been to the top of Mount Vesuvius. Yeah, that's really cool. Because we didn't do that this time around. But when I did the tour that was organized by the Navy, uh, we took a bus like uh, a portion of the way up. Mm -hmm. And then you walk basically the rest of the way. There's no vegetation. There's still very little vegetation on Vesuvius. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing grows there. Because there's not a lot of soil still. I mean, it blew itself apart so completely that all the lava spewed in basically all directions. And it's just like lava rocks yeah there's no soil yet yeah it's probably going to take a couple more thousand years for there actually to be soil there Mm -hmm. and i think what a lot of people don't necessarily realize about the geography of the area is that vesuvius is actually kind of far away from pompeii the city the the city was down on like the the port area right kind of yeah Yeah. or close to it so it's down at the base of the mountain but like you where you went up to the top of it was you know, kind of far away, actually. Yeah, it wasn't far enough. No, it, it was. It wasn't. <laughs> and, and the actual like port city. Now, I didn't write this down, and I didn't actually look at this before we were saying it. But there was another city that was actually closer on the port, and that was Herculaneum. Oh yeah, Herculaneum. And it was equally yeah. destroyed. Yeah, but just not as popular and big. It was to be smaller. Talked about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just like like Pompeii was. Yep. So anyway. It's, been, it's long been thought, mostly because of just evidence and common sense, that most of the people died as a result of volcanic ash and gases, which yeah. is true. Most of the people did they die did. that way. And that's where those like sort of ghostly images of, of people like, yeah. like stretched out on the ground, that's from the volcanic ash they that were, sort of covered their bodies and left a cast of them. Yeah, they were encased and basically 
burned to death in that account in that volcanic yeah. ash and then were essentially replaced by ash almost like fossilization yeah, yeah it's crazy yeah it, it was the craziest yeah. process it, it leaves these really haunting like yeah outlines of human bodies basically when the eruption was happening there was of course some some major eruptions that really took down the city, but mm-hmm. it was erupting for a few days. Yeah. That's how volcanoes volcanoes work, mm-hmm. right? It was erupting for a few days. There was a lot of smaller eruptions before mm-hmm. and after the couple of big ones. And along with volcanic eruptions, if you're close enough to the volcano, I mean, a volcano erupts because there's some kind of a plug. There's pressure buildup. Mm-hmm. That plug gets blown out by the pressure of the magma beneath it mm-hmm. as it's rising because of the gases that are involved and then spews out in an explosive force, which is where all the ash comes from. But then also the magma flows just down the side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the the slightly slower part of it. It's like uh, very similar, you would probably see, to opening the vent on a Instant Pot. You know, <laughs> I, I'm going to say that's probably exactly the same thing. So everybody knows what, are, what I'm talking about. Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, the explosive gases. So anyway. Okay, got yeah. it. <laughs> so so that is what killed most people. But like uh-huh. I said, there were earthquakes happening. That's where I was going. Yeah. Earthquakes because of the seismic events. I yeah. mean, when you have an entire mountain that's basically shaking like this from this massive explosion, you're going to have seismic events. And Pompeii was close enough that it would have felt those. Yeah. And while the Romans are famous for their concrete and how durable it is, I mean, you know, it's an earthquake. (laughs) Yeah. And and they didn't have, you know, building codes and stuff to dictate the safety of the structures, no matter how good they were. So (laughs) here's how little they really knew about volcanoes and what was going on. There were seismic events happening before the volcano ever really spewed anything. It was mm-hmm. probably smoking pretty heavily, but mm-hmm. it had done that before. And they were probably like, ah, I don't eh, know what's happening. It'll be fine. Right. It's done this before. It's no big deal. Right. Well, the skeletons of what were believed to be two men and not their ash like outlines. No, no. They're no, actual no, no. These skeletons. These are actual skeletons. You can see them yeah. in the pictures. And they were both at least 55 years old, judging by their bones and how they were formed. Mm-hmm. They were found beneath a wall that collapsed um, before the area was covered in ash. Yep. So they were doing something there. They were either working on it or maybe they lived there. Yep. But they were there and an earthquake happened. The wall fell over and killed them. Mm -hmm. And then maybe nobody noticed because they were evacuating the city or who knows what was going on. Or maybe people just saw them and said, well, they're dead. So we'll deal with that later. just didn't have time. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're evacuating. It could. I mean, we don't know when this happened. It could have been literally minutes before the actual eruption happened. Could have been. You know? Yeah. Like the the specific timeline is just impossible to know. The but only thing we know is their bodies were relatively protected from the ash by the they were. fallen rock. Yeah. They were yeah, by the wall. They were underneath something that protected them and, and yeah. they didn't burn away or decompose. You know. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I thought was cool is we know the names of most of the houses in Pompeii mm-hmm. that have been uncovered just because it's there's there's places where people put that mm-hmm. like they still do this in like England like every oh, single like, house and everything placards. has a name to it yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy yeah. not every single one of them but yeah, yeah a lot of them do mm-hmm. but this is called Casti Amanti or House of the Chaste Lovers oh yeah. okay I don't know why but that's what it's called that seems like an oxymoron yeah. but now, sure I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure that that was actually the the name historically of the house oh but it's the name now it's the name yeah. now and I, I didn't actually dig into that too much yeah. but it's it's more than likely 
you know, they found something else and, and archaeologists probably name. named that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. But I didn't even look at it. But yeah. anyway, the director of the Pompeii Archaeological Park, Gabriel Zuktragel, probably got that wrong, says that new archaeological techniques and methodology, quote, allow us to understand better the inferno that in two days completely destroyed the city of Pompeii, killing many inhabitants, unquote. Mm-hmm. And this, again, makes it possible to determine the dynamic of deaths down to the final seconds mm-hmm. and and you know how people really experience this thing yeah you it does make you realize that like they probably did ignore a lot of warning signs yeah and it was probably because of past history and when things didn't go badly they were like well this will be fine it's just kind of rumbling it's doing its pompeii thing it's fine whatever or it's doing its vesuvius thing it's fine whatever we can ignore it and move on with our lives but oh boy what a what a fatal mistake right there speaking of fatal mistakes not that this is a competition or anything, but more people died here. 1,300 have been found than the Titanic. Um, I so. don't believe that's true, sir. I think that the total that died in Titanic was 1,517 people. So We know for a fact that uh, about 1,300 victims have been found in Pompeii, but I didn't see the percentage listed here, but I've seen it before. A very small percentage of the city of Pompeii has actually been excavated. Oh, so there's yeah. probably like a lot more. A lot more. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at 1,300 in this one small section, mm-hmm. and it's actually a really big section, but it's a small portion of the city mm-hmm. comparatively. So um, it's less than half. Is the 1,300 just from like bodies or outlines of bodies that we found? Or is that also based on historical references that say who died too no that's have been found that's have been found yeah historical references probably list a different number yeah and i don't know what that is because i didn't look it up yeah but 1300 victims have been found i'm willing to bet the historical references weren't exactly accurate probably not they probably only counted for the like nobility that died and maybe their slaves yeah you know but there's so many people in Pompeii and mm-hmm. so many different ethnicities and, and people coming in from different areas and speaking different languages that how could they all have been accounted for? Mm-hmm. You know, the right. only way we're going to be able to account for them is with archaeology. Yeah. And probably most of Pompeii won't be fully excavated because it's just too big and there's too much of it. Yeah. It just wouldn't. I can't imagine that happening, but maybe. Yep. Well, If Pompeii had had the god of fertility, abundance, and royal lineage nearby, maybe they would have survived. But you know who did? The ancient Maya. (laughs) That was a terrible transition. (laughs) Back in a minute. (laughs) Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Welcome back to the popular archaeology dis- edition of the Archaeology <laughs> Show, episode 219. <laughs> and we're going over to another popular area that, well, at least a culture that everyone's heard about, and that is the yeah. ancient Maya. Yes. And I say ancient Maya because I have to distinguish that because there are current Maya, if you heard our last that episode. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. We've yes. met some. Uh-huh. You know, there's yep. definitely Maya, Mayan descendants. descendants. living in yeah, Mexico. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. They're just called Mexicans now, or Guatemalans, or- No, they, they, you know, they identify as Mayan, They too, do, culturally. Locally, yeah. But- like politically, they're Mexicans. They're, yes, true. <laughs> so, right. Or Guatemalans, or like I said, there's yeah. there's other areas down there because they have a pretty wide uh, place that they were in. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like Native Americans are Native Americans, but also Americans. Right. True. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a cultural identity for sure. Yeah. 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 So, we picked up this article. It's called "Archaeologists Digging Along a Train Route in Mexico Have Found an Extremely Rare Statue of a Maya Deity," mm-hmm. and I picked this up because I'm always drawn towards like CRM articles in other countries. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we just don't see a lot of stuff that's been found through CRM in just like popular news articles, right? you know, because that stuff is, well, stuff's often not reported right away. Mm -hmm. And by the time it is reported, secrecy around projects and stuff too. Sometimes. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, real quick, CRM is stands for Cultural Resource Management. It's the kind of archaeology Rachel and I did for our careers mm-hmm. and still do occasionally. And it's often done in advance of construction to ensure artifacts, features, and monuments are not damaged and are preserved. So every country has just about some version of CRM, some sort yeah. of regulatory requirement to yeah. do something, right? Even if they don't have like really strict preservation and protection yeah. procedures, you know, they still have something usually. Right. And if you heard our last week's episode, it seems like some trains are being built in Maya country. <laughs> so it's not always a bad idea to build so a train. It can't. Well, <laughs> if it's a train for transportation purposes that is taking people from A to B, then yes, that is very important. And it is. But what if it B, is building that needs to happen? What if A is a village and B is three days into the jungle? But if A is not happy about said train, then there are things that need to be discussed beforehand. I'm going to kick you in the A and <laughs> go on my B train. So, all right. Oh, my God. Anyway, like I said, the. CRM project archaeologists here in Mexico were excavating construction sites, so excavating around construction sites for mm-hmm. this new. They actually call it the Maya train. Oh, I'm okay. not. I didn't look it up to see like where this thing goes or what it's doing. Yeah, but they're they're building it currently. Okay. So, but they found a rare statue of the Mayan god, and I'm going to get this completely wrong. Ka'awil. That seems pretty good. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. K apostrophe A W I I L. Mm-hmm. So it's it could be Ka'awil or Ka'awil, maybe? Yeah. Not really sure. Ka'awil? There could be like a two syllables in the eyes. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Anyway, this particular deity has often been represented in paintings, relief sculpture, and more famously in the Dresden and Maya codices, which Mm -hmm. are documents, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a rare three-dimensional figure because it's a sculpture, and it was found on top of an urn. Yeah, again, it's really a great idea to click those links in the show notes and go check it out because yeah. there's some great photos of it in the article so you can really get an idea of of what you're looking at and how unique it is. Yeah. Like that is to find this on a train route archaeology project is it seems really really special it's really unique well and the other stuff they found on that particular site were uh, vessels pottery fragments bones Mm -hmm. and foundations of ancient structures which 
Much like England, I'm sure you can't drop a shovel in Maya country without, yeah. yeah, without undercovering something ancient. Yeah. They were just, I mean, they were everywhere. Yeah. You know, they had roads, they had cities, they had all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, the general director of Mexico's National Institute of Anthropology and History says the finding is important because of the scarcity of sculptural representations of Ka'awil. Mm-hmm. They know of only three, and this is the first to be found actually in Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. So, Ka'awil is known as the ancient Maya lightning lord. Yep. And he was, or she? He. Probably he, He, I think he is represented as a he. Yeah. He is the god of fertility, abundance, and royal lineage. Because if we know nothing about royals, fertility is important to them. So lump those things together, I guess. Right. Well, in the way that that's (laughs) signified on, again, paintings and drawings and stuff like that is he's often represented as a scepter because he stands on one leg when he's represented. So Uh it's it's easy to make it look like somebody is like holding this God Mm -hmm. as like a scepter or Mm -hmm. or almost as a cane too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. When it is represented that way, the person that is holding it is usually represents that they have royal lineage. Okay. That's why he signifies that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. One of his legs actually terminates in a serpent's head. That's the one that actually comes down to the ground, I think, from the pictures I saw. And it's likely why the Papuvul, Papuvul, it's likely why the Papuvul, which is a the sacred book of the, again, Ke'iche Maya, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really actually famous book in yeah. Maya country, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. Pretty much every... Every person who's read anything about the Maya has heard of the the Dresden Codex and, and the, the and the Papa Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it identifies him as Lightning One Leg. That's why they call him that. That's yeah, the best name ever. I know. And if I were to, you know, not have one of my legs for any reason, I would like to be known as Lightning One Leg. Lightning One Leg, because yeah. that's an amazing nickname. <laughs> I think if I did lose a leg, I would probably have. Like a like a USB port or something installed down there, and a battery installed in my little leg socket, so I could literally be lightning one leg. <laughs> yeah, you <just> made me <laughs> snort. <laughs> you are just so determined to become digital in some way or another. Uh, yes, yeah. that's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that is really cool that they have been able to add this statue to our very few representations of this type of Maya deity. So, yeah. And good for CRM for being the ones who found it and contributed it to our society. Yeah, absolutely. Or our knowledge, really, not really our society. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And I imagine they're finding a whole bunch of stuff on Mm -hmm. here. But like I said, it's not really internationally newsworthy because it's probably a lot of stuff they're used to finding in the Mayan country. But still super cool and i want to know a lot more about the maya train well yeah and if it was found on an urn like clearly you're you don't just find urns like scattered around they're in some sort of like burial area usually which means they're probably working in a cemetery area which is part of a larger complex probably so they probably are doing excavation in a much larger area that is much bigger and has more significance than just this one statue on this one urn so it would be cool to see how that sort of ends up when they're done with the excavations. Well, take a look at the show notes because not only do we have these articles, but I also included an article that specifically gives you more information on the ancient Maya lightning Lord. Mm -hmm. So it makes me think of just because it's out now and we were looking at movie times, the guardians of the galaxy three, because what does he call himself? The Lord Space Space Lord or something? Or yeah, something it? like that. Yeah, I can't remember what he calls him. He, time Lord? He wants to be the... No, Time Lord is Doctor He's, Who. But. Oh yeah, Doctor Who. 
He's like Lord something. It made me think about it because we're just looking at it. But Lightning Lord. Yeah, Lightning Lord is it. pretty sweet. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yep. All right. Well, that's all we've got for this week. We will be back next time. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. .com.